and good morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great to be with you. So uh, last week, I started with some of the challenges facing the church. <laughs> so 45,000 Christian denominations in the world, uh, 30 to 44 Presbyterian denominations here in the United States, uh, the polarization of, of the church, right? It's, it's the left, it's the right, it's divisions about infant baptism, adult believer baptism, divisions about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, divisions about nearly everything. Uh, last week's title was, The Holy Spirit Unites Us. This week's title is, Jesus Christ Unites Us. And I believe both to be true. It is sin which divides us, Okay? Um, not the Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus Christ. We trust that God is at work in our community of faith to unite us around those things that are most important. We want to have a gracious orthodoxy. Now, so speaking of gracious orthodoxy, I read Gilbert Keith Chesterton's book. He, he goes by G.K. Chesterton. Orthodoxy this week in preparation for this message. Uh, G.K. Chesterton was famous for a couple of things that he said, okay? Uh, one time Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Now sit with that for a minute. <laughs> the Christian ideal has not been found tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. So what, what parts of the Christian ideal have been found difficult and left untried? I mean, is there is a part about the last being first and the first being last? Is the, about, the part about blessing the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are persecuted? I think about the words in Acts chapter 4, which read... Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they were. So there's something powerful about those words, right? They were scattered because of the persecution of Saul and others. Saul later becomes Paul. They were scattered because of persecution. But this persecution became a driving event for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are persecuted, do we see persecution as a crisis or do we see it as an opportunity so how about this part of scripture uh, from Mark chapter 10 verses 43 through 45 not so with you instead whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in a few weeks, I'll be uh, preaching from Mark 10, verses 35 through 45, which, with, which begins with James and John asking Jesus to be at the right and left hand of his, it, it, when he comes into his kingdom, okay? And it ends with those words. So when the London Times asked a number of writers for essays on the topic, What's Wrong with the World? G.K. Chesterton sent in the reply that was shortest and most to the point. Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. 
Chesterton was, was fond of debating others about their views. And, and from what I understand, he won many of those debates. Uh, C.S. Lewis considered him a hero of the faith. But Chesterton would often take those vanquished debaters to a pub afterwards, and they would hoist a glass together, building relationships. Chesterton was convinced that orthodoxy was found in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So I'm a, I think we have it on the screen. Let's say that the words of the Apostles' Creed aloud this morning, okay? We have them? Oh, we're waiting. <laughs> All right. Can I just go ahead and read them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got them? All right. Okay. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Y'all did great. A note there about the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic is with a small c. It isn't the Catholic denomination. It's all of us who believe in Jesus Christ and all of the things that he did. And that's why when we used the Apostles' Creed a couple of months ago and Nicene Creed for the last two celebrations of the Lord's Supper, we substituted the word universal for Catholic. So let's go on to our scripture reading for this morning. It's from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Okay? Uh, fellow Israelites... Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, 
He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's a reference to the speaking in tongues. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. By the way, the, the, the first quote is from Psalm 16 uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, that's, the, that's the part about not abandoning to the realm of the dead and not letting the Holy One uh, see decay. The Holy One is Jesus. The second quote is from Psalm 110, verse 1. Uh, the part about the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And it's also about Jesus. Check those out. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 1 was a favorite in the New Testament. Uh, it, it was quoted by Jesus in Mark 12, 35 through 37. Uh, it's quoted in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, Hebrews 1, 13, and Hebrews 10, 13. And it's alluded to in a number of other texts. So I want to go through each part of this passage and talk about how Jesus Christ unites us. So verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, which you yourself know. Now, Jesus unites us, Jesus Christ unites us in his miracles, in his wonders, and in his signs. Now, I know there are some branches of Christianity that talk about the historical Jesus, right? So there are branches of, of Christianity that, that believe Jesus was somehow mythologized. I think we can have conversations about whether creation happened over billions of years, or, or if it happened in six days. But it's difficult for me to understand how Jesus, without his miracles, especially his crucifixion and resurrection, is the same Jesus. At the same time, right, many people come to conclusions over time. Some embrace the miracles of Jesus immediately, right? Others take time and, and they're skeptical, right? So you know, the question then becomes, how do we love people? How do we serve people? Right? How do we welcome people into our journey of faith? How do we allow them to see our questions and our struggles and still see our faith in Jesus? 
I feel like we often fail at welcoming people into our journey. So next week we're starting a, a new series, Here as in Heaven, addressing some of those themes. Okay? So verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Now think about that with me for a minute. Um, I suppose that many of us might say, like, you know, I didn't crucify Jesus. I, I wasn't there. I didn't pound the nails. I didn't execute Jesus on a Roman cross. But think about, with me, about the ways in which all of us have participated in the crucifixion, whether we were there or not, right? Jesus came for me. He came for you. He came for all of us. One person's sin, my sin, caused the crucifixion of Jesus. My sin caused Jesus to die. If Jesus had come just for me, he would still have been crucified. And we ponder that truth. And the truth is that all of us participated in the crucifixion of Jesus, whether we were present or not. Jesus Christ unites us in his crucifixion. Now, verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, right? Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Jesus Christ also unites us in his resurrection. And I thought about 1 Corinthians 15 this morning uh, and the stirring words from uh, verses 54 through 56 or 57. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come to true come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Jesus Christ unites us in His miracles. He unites us in his crucifixion. He unites us in his resurrection. So Peter goes on to quote Psalm 116 and, and Psalm 110. And, and he talks about how David is dead and buried in Jerusalem. That's a reference, by the way, to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Okay? So we get to verse 36. And Peter says... Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord in Greek is Kyrios. Messiah in Hebrew is the anointed one. Messiah in Hebrew and Christos in Greek essentially mean the same thing. So Jesus is the chosen one who rights the wrongs of sin and death and draws us to himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ unites us. John Polhill, in his commentary on Acts chapter 2, writes these words. God has exalted Christ to his right hand and given him the gift of the Holy Spirit, which has now been poured out just as the apostles were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. So the Jewish crowd itself was witness to the exaltation of Christ as they witnessed the gift of the outpoured spirit at Pentecost, 
Only the one exalted to God's right hand can dispense the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ unites us. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the moment of truth, right? This is the uniting power of Jesus Christ. This is when a change of, of mind uh, is required. So uh, metanoia means a change of mind. So meta in Greek means change. Nous in Greek means mind. Metanoia means a change of mind. Not just repentance, but a change of heart. We see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, it's nous. The question is deeply personal for each of us. What shall we do? Right? What, are there things that we have not repented of? Are there places where, in which we are disobedient? And so, verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, I'm, let, me, let me take another minute here just to, to talk about another book I've been reading about, about shame and addiction and uh, trauma, okay? And it's a quote from uh, Jay Stringer in his book, Unwanted, how sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. Okay? Now, this is the quote. The contemporary definition of addiction is only about 100 years old. And it refers to a dysfunctional dependence or on drugs or behavior such as gambling or sex or eating. Prior to the 20th century, uh, and a few vague references to Shakespeare, you would need go to go back to ancient Rome to find a word similar to our modern use of addiction. In Rome, addictus referred to someone defaulting on a debt and consequently being assigned to a creditor as a slave until the debt was paid off. The usage is ominous. And in my counseling work, uh, men and women struggling with unwanted sexual behavior often use strikingly similar language to refer to their behavior. No matter how much I want to be free of it, nothing works. I'm enslaved to it until I die. I have known men and women in every church I've served who've been addicted to pornography. But again, the question is, is pointed for us, right? You know, what might change our minds about porn or about other addictions or about our approach to people with whom we don't connect? How do we change our minds about behaviors that are rooted in our congregational history? Every congregation struggles with this. What ends up happening is that we become overcommitted. Sometimes we become addicted to church and miss the lessons that Jesus Christ is teaching us through the subtle promptings of the Holy Spirit. Lessons about making connections with people who might be far from God. Not about getting them to come to church. But about loving them well. About serving them well. If they see Jesus in us, they may want to know more about us. But Peter promises that we will receive the Holy Spirit. And so verse 39, the promise is for you 
and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I think this goes back to Joel's prophecy in chapter 2 of Joel. In verse 40, Peter warns, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Now, can I say this? Every generation is corrupt? But I mean, I think each generation is corrupt in different ways. I mean, so Peter's saying, you know, this is like the first century. This generation is corrupt. Well, guess what? All of us are. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the unifying presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the unifying presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity, full at work, in power, one God, three persons, in complete unity and in complete community. Right? So there's a text I wanted to end with this morning. It's from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verses 15 through 20. Okay? Do we have it? Yes, there it is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, so, so much power in that text. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Last week, we, or last, I think last Sunday, we said the Nicene Creed. So we affirmed that Jesus was begotten not made, right? So he was, he was from the very beginning of the creation, a full part of the Trinity before the world was created. This is a mystery for us. It's something we can apprehend, but it's something we cannot comprehend. Okay? So things in, on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We affirm these truths. Everything has been created for Jesus. Jesus Christ unites us. Okay? Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ unites us. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything... He might have the supremacy. Jesus Christ unites us. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ unites us. And through him, Jesus, uh, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, those last words are really stunning. 
I, I believe in hell because I think Jesus talked about it so often. But I also believe in God's grace. Do you? Which is bigger than we might imagine. I mean, really, is God going to, like, call you up and say, like, you know, you got this part wrong. I'm sending you to hell. Or is God's grace bigger than we might imagine, right? So here Jesus is reconciling all things on earth and things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We don't just believe in heaven, friends. We believe in a new earth as well. We believe that we have a place in that new heaven and that new earth. And I'm, I'm challenged by these words. Did Jesus reconcile to himself all things? I've asked the life groups to have that conversation. No. Um, so, you know, what do all things mean? At the same time, I believe that God's grace is bigger than we might imagine. And I believe that we get captured by that grace. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve a new earth. None of us deserve grace. None of us deserve mercy. But Jesus, through his blood, gives us what we do not deserve. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, unite us. Unite us on the things that matter the most. You know, Lord, keep us from being petty about the things that divide the 45,000 denominations of the world. Keep us together by the power of your Holy Spirit. Keep us together by the unifying presence of Jesus Christ. Help us to be together as this congregation. Help us to move forward. Help us to advance. Help us to love people well. Help us to serve people well. Help us to make time for others who are not, who are, uh, not part of our faith. Help us to build relationships with them. And we thank you for all that you've done and for all that you've uh, said to us. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.